Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Pod Strickland. I'm your host, Shwini Poon. This is episode 255. I am joined on uh, the most Victory Monday of all Victory Mondays, uh, especially for this podcast and probably most listeners of it, by my co-host, Stacy. That is at StacyPatton89. Stacy, how are you doing this this Monday morning? Uh, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been nice the last couple of weeks we've been saying Victory Monday, so... Uh... Feels good. Yeah, um, it does feel good, and uh, it feels good, especially since uh, you know the Knicks are winning ball games, and my Bills are winning ball games, and your Eagles are winning ball games, and most of the people listening to this podcast who are Giants fans, they won a ball game. Unfortunately, Jets fans did not win a ball game, but they're probably still okay. Uh, just got to win in Miami at the end of the year. Which shouldn't be hard because Tua fucking sucks. Uh, but before we get started, I do have to make an, a few announcements. The first being that Strickland has an Instagram. Check that out. Give us a follow on Instagram at thestrick.land. Uh, there is plenty of content that we're putting out there. So please check it out and uh, <coughs> definitely give us a follow. The Strickland also has a YouTube channel where you may or may not be watching this podcast and uh, you know, getting a chance to see how beautiful Stacy and myself truly are. Um, check that out. There's a lot of good content on there aside from just the podcast. We also have the rundown show uh, that comes out after every game, the post game show that's hosted by Tyrese and Sam. Uh, so give check that out. And there's also some X's and O stuff that we've had, we have there and um, that we're planning to do more of. So uh, definitely give us a follow on YouTube as well. We also have a Patreon, which you may or may not know of. Uh, there is a six-star tier that gets you access to this podcast right here that I host every Friday with Prez. You also get access to <coughs> the Knicks mailbag, the Strick bag, the Doug bag, hosted by Drew Steele, a.k.a. Doug, uh, that comes out every other week. You also get access to the Strickland Discord, where the conversation never stops, especially not when the Knicks are winning seven in a row. There are further tiers. There's a nine-dollar tier that gets you access to Strick and Roll, my solo pod, where I rant and rave about the Knicks even more. You also get access to Wonderful weekly articles, premium weekly articles by Jack Huntley and Matthew Marina, two of the best in the business. There are further tiers. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and $100 tier. Let's go with a variety of additional benefits, like listening in on pod recordings, merchandise discounts, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours truly one day. Whether you choose to subscribe or not, none of this would be possible without you. So without further ado, let's get started. Um, the Knicks... So I recorded after the Knicks won their first game in Chicago uh, on Wednesday. So I recorded that uh, with Prez. Since then, the Knicks, uh, I think they basically ended the bowl season on Friday, which was really fun. Uh, I enjoyed that greatly. I will never tire of beating the Bulls, who deserve all of the pain and misery that could ever be heaped upon them. Um, So I thoroughly enjoyed that game. And then the Knicks won a game against the Pacers that they looked like, look, they battled, they clawed, they fought. 
I didn't think anybody other than Brunson and Mitch really played all that well. I know RJ and Randall had nice scoring numbers. I didn't think they played well. I thought quickly was terrible offensively. He's in a real slump right now. Deuce was there on offense. He didn't do much. He had a big three. He had a big three. He, he had a big three, but I mean, that's it. Like he didn't, he's not doing anything. He's not actively changing things. And I didn't love the, the Sims Hartenstein spacing seemed like it came back to bite us in this game. Uh, Grimes was relatively invisible until the end. It, it was just not a great performance all around. But again, they fought. They stayed in the they stayed in the game, and then they found a way to win. Um, they're down six, I think, with like a minute forty six left. Brunson hits a huge step back three. I have no idea why Nemard went under on that, but thank God he did. It's a was huge that the one when he stared down the the Pacers bench? Because I, I no, no, that, that was earlier in the half. That, that was, was right after Heald hit a step back. I think yeah. Heald or Neesmith. That was really, and then I was, I was like, "Why are you shooting this?" And I was like, "All right." Yeah. And then Brunson did his little flex. That was, um, I mean, the Knicks kind of need someone like that. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he, he hits a step back three. Um, they get a stop, and or no, I mean, then Brunson steals it. That's what happened. Yeah, Brunson steals it. Great play. He reads the pass that Nemar is trying to make to Tyrese Halliburton at the top of the key. Um, yeah. He steals awesome. it, takes it for one. Then they get a stop. Neesmith absolutely the shot goes up, rebounds up there. Neesmith just like bullies, like not even bullies, but like basically two hand shoves Grimes out of the way, gets the rebound, and then Julius just rips it from his hand. Absolutely rips it from his hand, which must have been satisfying because you could tell that Neesmith was annoying the fucking shit out of him the entire game. So I'm sure he was very happy with that. Uh, then they stupidly foul Randall. And even more stupidly, Carlisle challenged it. I have no idea why he challenged that. <laughs> that was a bizarre challenge. Um, like, I understand. I was watching that replay, and I was like, okay, I kind of understand why, if I was a Pacers fan, I would look at that and be like, this is such a bullshit call because they're both hooking each other. But I'd also never challenge that. And I also would be like, why are you hooking Randall there at all? Miles Turner's right behind you. You don't need to do anything. Um, anyway, he hits both free throws. Pacers come back. Tyrese Halliburton, as Wally Zerbiak called him, fake supposed wannabe all-star, um, as I've called him before. Uh, he just can't get anything going, takes a terrible step back. Then the Knicks play the free throw game with the Pacers. Randall makes two more pairs of free throws down the stretch to seal the deal. Halliburton, heave at the end of the game, kind of doesn't, I mean, it, you know, I think what, it hit the back rim, but it didn't really look like it was ever going in. Um, Ultimately, Knicks win the game, but it was probably, I think it's the best win in the sense that, yeah, they had a great win against Chicago, but that one felt like it shouldn't have even gone to overtime, and they put themselves in that situation. They've had some other, I mean, the Cleveland game was awesome. They've had other really good games in this stretch, but this one felt like a lot more meaningful because aside from Brunson, I don't think you could say, I, I know RJ, again, he had a good scoring performance, especially inside the arc. And Randall, you know, he, he did his thing as much as he could, but neither of them really had it going. Um, Brunson's the only guy that really had it going. Again, Mitch was awesome on defense, but I didn't think that it was a and great... He bullied you know, the shit out of uh, oh, yeah. Turner on a lot of offense. I, first of all, side rant, I don't want to hear anyone talk about we need to trade for Miles Turner for a long time. Clutch free throw shooter. Yeah, yeah, clutch. <laughs> and I'll, I, um, sorry, I'll, I'll shoot this, but I... Also want to highlight Julius made six clutch free throws. Yep. 
late, which is not something that he's always been reliable for late in games. So, um, you know, impressive mental toughness there from a player not always known for it. So, yeah, and um, like I said, like I just think I tweeted this out yesterday, but like, did I think Julius played his best game yesterday? No, like I thought some of his defense was some of the bad stuff we see from him. I thought some of his decision making on offense was some of the bad stuff we see from him, but the energy and effort is so much more palpable with him so that even when he makes a couple of plays that are brain farts, you're, I'm, I'm, I can forgive that. Like, and this is ultimately what it boils down to me. Like people be like, like, and I get this, like quickly has been playing awful recently. Right. So people be like, why aren't you getting on quickly? And my thing is always like, okay, even if he sucks ass on offense, right. He's never going to nuke a lineup for you because at the very core, at the, at the, at the bare minimum, he's going to give you some type of defensive baseline. My frustration with Julius throughout the last year plus has been that on top of these bizarre offensive inconsistencies he's had, he was totally mailing it in on defense and rebounding. And to me, that's unacceptable because those are the things that you can control consistently. You can consistently play good defense. You can consistently box out and rebound. There's no like... Oh, he just missed shots. Oh, he's in a shooting slump. Oh, no. You can consistently do those things. And right now, he's consistently doing those things, and this team is consistently doing those things. And that is why they're on a winning streak. Does it help that <clears throat> RJ has kind of found an offensive rhythm, that Randall went on a heater for a while, that Brunson has been on a tear? Obviously, those things help. But you always give yourself a chance to win ba- basketball games when your defense is consistent and you're consistently ending possessions. And they have started to do that. And I think, I think some of the like, oh, Grimes induced have changed everything. I think it's a, that's a little bit too simplistic, but like, there is obviously something to the timing of it all, and um, you can't deny—not you. I'm not saying that you are denying this, Stacey, but broadly, people cannot deny that there is a very different energy about this team. And there's a togetherness about this team now. And there is the reality of like, like they can win ball games right now, even in spite of probably their big, their key bench player playing like total shit on offense. They have found ways to win. They're continuing to find ways to win. And that's impressive. And it's good. And it's coming at a time where this is not an easy part of their schedule. You know, Cleveland is not an easy win. Uh, Chicago back to back. I know Chicago is in a terrible way, but like, I know this, and this is the worst time to say this because they just gave 150 to the fucking Wolves <laughs> without Cat or Gobert playing. But like, they're not that. I mean, it's never easy to go to somebody else's building and beat them twice in a row, except unless if you're the Magic and you go to Boston, apparently. Um, and then, like, obviously, you get this game against the Pacers yesterday. The Pacers are a good team, they're playing well, and they're not an easy matchup, right? They, they play fast. Loaded with shooters. Yeah, yeah, so many shooters. Like the Knicks are finding ways to win ball games. They're doing it in different ways. They're doing it together. And I mean, you mentioned this, and I'm happy to have you elaborate on this. But like, you cannot like again the Grimes and Deuce and Quickly's defensive effort and Mitch, all that stuff is very very accurate. All those guys, to varying degrees, give them credit for what you want. But like you mentioned, the Knicks have needed a guy like Brunson. Forever, and I don't mean just the I don't, and I don't think you meant this either. Not just the not the not just the the type of shot making, but the way he carries himself and 
the confidence he exudes and plays with, um, you know, like you like not just shit talk. Like Randall shit talks, right? But it always feels like it's coming from a weird place. There's a difference between cockiness and confidence, right? Yeah, so. yeah. I think Brunson is exuding so much of the latter, and that is trickling down to the rest of the team. And he's, I mean, this is his team. As far as I'm concerned, this is his team. Yeah, and I mean, I do think that um, I said before. I said before the season, I wouldn't be shocked if he averaged 25. I think the way that they run their offense, it's just not going to happen. Um, but I do think he'll put up. He's putting up numbers. I think that um, in other years it could be awesome. I mean, he's putting up 21 and six. Um, the three point shot is is now back up to 37. percent That was really the only thing that wasn't working for him early in the season. He shot 66 um, percent the last three games on threes. Yeah, he's actually averaging his lowest true shooting since three years ago, uh, and that's still 58%, which I can't remember the last time the Knicks had a player at that high usage who was that efficient. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Brunson's, I think that he has been a game changer. There's been a lot of things that have that have helped. Uh, before, before I get into the game, I definitely want to say for Jets fans, there is some good news. For AFC East fans of all but one team, I think there was a very enjoyable play yesterday. Um, so I'm sure you got some some joy out of watching the, the Patriots' little uh, yakety sacks play at the end. I'm telling you, I gotta tell you this. I just gotta say this. This was like the best three days of sports ever. And on a personal level, I don't know if it could have been any more satisfying. The Knicks again. They go to Chicago, and we gotta talk. We'll talk about this game because it was so satisfying. They go to Chicago and just bully the shit out of this sad sack deplorable, just disjointed Bulls team. Okay, that's great. Fucking Saturday comes around. You get this insane NFL slate, which didn't look like it was going to be insane to begin with. You, you get Coach Saturday gets the Colts out to a 33 nothing lead. That shit goes to overtime. <laughs> Vikings win 39-36. That's crazy, right? Then you get this bullshit, you know, Browns-Ravens game in the middle of the day that I didn't watch any of that. It was so boring. Um, I haven't seen so many Fire Harbaugh tweets since years ago. (laughs) (laughs) And then Saturday night, I get to watch this Bills-Dolphins game, and it's like Josh Allen comes out like a house on fire. I'm like, all right. They score right before halftime, which I'm like the most no, 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 yes play possible. Uh, And they're getting the ball back to start the third. I'm like, all right, here we go. Like, we're about to just fucking boat race these guys, and we do nothing for the entire third quarter. Dolphins come back. They're up 29-21. I am having an existential crisis uh, about what is going to happen if, the, like, just to me mentally, if the Bills lose to the Dolphins twice and to Tua twice in a season, they tie the game. The snow starts coming down. It looks like a snow globe. It is wonderful. The Dolphins can't do shit. The Bills go, like, 90 yards, win the game on a walk-off field goal. Extremely satisfying. Then yesterday, we get the most insane World Cup final ever ever. Nobody could have predicted that. That was an insane game. And then the entire NFL slate is insane. Like, the first slate is absolutely ridiculous. Every single game is a one-score game. As soon as that's over, you get the, the Knicks, right? The Cowboys played, lost, too. I'll say yeah, that. That was, that. that was fantastic. I don't think any... The only people that don't hate the Cowboys are Cowboys fans. I think the one team everybody can universally hate is the Cowboys. Very satisfying to see them lose. And it's hilarious way. that they, they blamed Dak of all people after that loss. Like that was what was he supposed to do? Not throw the ball right through the guy's hands. But it was uh, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. And then as soon as that's that's all done, 
You get this crazy Knicks game, and then, and then, the cherry on top for me, right? As soon as this Knicks game is over, I get to see this Patriots meltdown, which <laughs> is like, it is the dumbest play I think I've ever seen. Like, and I, I say that at a, as a Bills fan who's witnessed my fair share of horrific, I mean, we're Which both Michigan fans. Terrible. We saw a Michigan loss on a drop to, punt. Yeah, on a drop punt. Like we've seen horrific losses. This was the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Um, so I just I'm sorry, I'm gonna let you continue. But I gotta say, on a personal level, this was the most satisfying sports weekend possible. I I need to see more remixes, like you know, the, the music set to that um that video. <laughs> but um, yeah, <laughs> uh, I was thinking more like the Benny Hill stuff. Um the um no, I, but I, I, last night was actually a pretty satisfying win for me, even more so, I think, than the Chicago game. Because um, it just felt like such a dumb game. Uh, the Knicks couldn't get three-pointers to fall. They just had a lot of shots that felt like just rim out um, that would look like good shots. Indiana was hitting everything. Nismith was talking a lot of shit. Um, I, I mean, there were a lot of concerning things. Um, Arjun Heald is not an ideal matchup because... Um, it's just the kind of player he struggles with, you know, keeping being focused off ball, getting through all these screens. Like you can't let your guard down for a second against Teal, right? And I felt like game they were gonna lose. I tried not to tweet about it, but I thought there were a lot of questionable calls from the officials. Um, there were, there were. I, I will say this: the 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 Knicks got the benefit of playing with that physicality and aggression against Chicago because I thought there were few calls in that game that could have gone against the Knicks in the second half especially, but they didn't. So I didn't, I mean, look, the whistle, I agree with you, was pretty weird. And I thought it least. was bad. The, I didn't watch the Friday game. Um, shout, well, if anyone's a fan of The Wire or in general, just good um, good theater, uh, I highly recommend seeing uh, Death of Salesman with Wendell Pierce. Um, but I missed the Friday game. So sorry, go ahead. But Wednesday, yeah, I, mean, I thought DeRozan got a million calls. So I Yeah, agree. yeah. It's, it was... It was kind of like they got a million calls on Wednesday. We got a pretty strong benefit of the doubt, I thought, at least on Friday, which is fine. Like, that happens. And then yesterday was another one that was just very weird. And I thought it was especially – the fourth quarter was especially infuriating. But, yeah, yeah. Anyway, go ahead. The, the call that infuriated me the most was Brunson was getting – you know, they were trying to inbound the ball full court. Oh, my God. Was it Nemhard or – It was the, Halliburton. He, uh, no, no. I, I think we're thinking of a different player. Like – like Brunson, like didn't even really push, but like he did his little, you know, like that's what every guard does to get free, and the dude collapsed. I, I think it might have been Nismith this time. Um, I, no, I, no, I, I know, I know, it's Halliburton because what was happening was Halliburton was defending the inbounds pass, and so Brunson was coming around, curling to like the top of the key, and Nemhard was right on him. I think it was Nemhard or Nismith. It doesn't really matter. Whoever was right on him, um, so like he like like he. I wouldn't say he shoved. He didn't shove Halliburton. He, like, lightly touched him on his way by. And Halliburton just was like, Ugh. Yeah, like, he, like, flopped like he was about to die. And, and it, like, the thing is, it wasn't even that. Like, his flop was kind of, like, one of those ones where you don't see that called at all. And it was, yeah, it was it was crazy. You got called for that. He got called for another shove-off in the first half, too. Yeah. Um but so this just felt like a game, like a stupid game where a lot of stuff was going against the Knicks, but they were really dominant in the paint. Uh, that I, I did think RJ Barrett, um, you know, it's not going to go up on his Hall of Fame or <laughs> on his like wall of um, wall of fame 
in terms of greatest performances, um, like, you know, that 46-point game or whatever. But I thought it was he was dominant inside the paint. And a team with Miles Turner, a um, team that substituted Isaiah Jackson. Uh, this was a team that, that gave the Knicks some problem with those guys uh, earlier in the season. They even gave Brun- – in the preseason, they even gave Brunson some issues. Uh, and so, like, winning this way when the three-pointer isn't falling was very impressive. Um, I This was probably Randall's, I think, most... So, I think Brunson has made a big difference. And I think the defensive scheme and playing more Grimes and McBride, we've talked about it a lot, but I, I think that that has, that has also had a big impact on Randall. Part of it, I think a lot of people have mentioned that, well, you know, when you see guys like Grimes and McBride just busting their ass, getting through every screen, it's going to inspire you. Uh, and then the other part of it is... Um, the other part of it is he gets to switch more. You know, they're switching more. So his best two possessions, maybe of this season, late he gets switched on to Halliburton. Halliburton's really trying to set him up for the step back. Julius isn't having it and doesn't give up the drive either. Um, you know, and that's a crafty player. It's the kind of player who's given Randall a lot of issues. There's still way too many times where he watches the ball go up instead of putting a body on someone. But that's really it at this point. Like, I thought it's... Uh, and I think that it's not just the fact that he's more engaged. I think they're able to switch more. Um, they're able to do more things where he's not put in difficult, manageable but difficult situations. He's They're, they're switching more. Uh, and I think also it, it it's kind of allowed RJ, Randall, and Brunson to focus on what they do best. And so we have real balance where I think the guys who right now, I mean, Grind's at a huge three late. Uh, but other than that, uh, you know, he had a he had a one or two missed reads on passes, um, which was kind of a step back from recent games. But everyone kind of is, is playing in the right role, right? Brunson is the lead dog who can get us a bucket whenever we need, can run the offense, run the turnovers. Randall, I think, is slotting in pretty nicely as the number two option. Um, you know, most of the time when he is taking jumpers, they're free throw line and below, or catch and shoot threes. Um, you know, I, he's had one spin move late, which drove me insane. But hasn't we haven't seen those kind of things or those kind of turnovers? And RJ now is able to slash and pick his spots a little bit better. Um, and then Grimes is the shooter, and then um, and then Mitch is Mitch has also been really active on offense because uh, I do think his offensive rebounding is something that's been undervalued, and it causes a lot of issues even when he doesn't grab the offensive rebound, right? Um, because it can keep a rim protector at bay. It can, um, it can, you know, it, it draws attention. Um, so I think that I'll highlight that defense and playing those guys. And look, you know, the Pacers were on fire from three for much of this game. The Knicks give up what 104 points, um, 106, but yeah, 106 points. Like that's that's a, again a, a, a team with a good amount of offensive firepower. Uh, they, you know, I, I thought they were, and I thought that was a big difference against the Bulls. Where, you know, I think that just both of those things really stood out to me on the Wednesday game against the Bulls. That was a close game. And, you know, we clowned DeRozan and Levine a lot. But having those two guys was a clear difference down the stretch last year between the Knicks and between the Bulls. And we saw when it devolved to that game, Brunson was able to get buckets. And the Knicks were able to throw a couple of different guys at DeRozan and force enough misses, especially when he wasn't getting calls, to win that. And um, and they have more. They have Grimes. Uh, you know, RJ doesn't have, like Randall is more engaged now. Um, they have they have multiple guys they can throw at those kind of players. So on both offense and defense, they're much better equipped to win those kind of close late games uh, due to athletic defenders and um, and a scorer and a lead 
playmaker that puts everyone into a more comfortable role. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. Um, and I think the encouraging thing is you're seeing more sequences where those three guys in some combination are benefiting off of each other. So it's not just like, okay. I mean, look, when they need a bucket, I, I forgot who tweeted this. It might have been, uh, fuck, I don't want to, I, I think it was NYK Terry and Trey. Uh, but I, I think, I, I forget who tweeted this. So if I fuck that up, sorry. But I saw somebody tweet yesterday that like, having Brunson allows you to save timeouts because when another team makes a run, he can just like get you a two point bucket. He just can get you to get to a spot and get you a bucket that like stops the bleeding for a little bit and helps turn the tide. Um, and I think, yes, there's still like, there's still some times where I think Brunson gets a little too shot hunting happy, but, but that's part of like the continued evolution of this team. And um, I think those sequences are far less. I have no idea what their assist numbers were over the last three games. Um, but I haven't watched this team and felt like it's just guys trying to ISO constantly. Um, it feels like they're running an offense. It feels like guys are trying to make the right play. It doesn't always work out. God knows quickly he's not been making the right play a lot. God knows RJ had he had a stretch in the fourth quarter where like he had two straight turnovers, and then he probably should have had a third. Like he nearly had a third that that was like he basically dribbled out of bounds, but they 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 called it out on Isaiah Jackson because I think they didn't want to call blocking foul on him, which I was fine with. But it was like it was a really bad sequence. Anyway, the point being is like yes, they still have struggles offensively, and it's still not beautiful and flowing and whatever. But like it looks way better than it was to start the year. Um, it looks way more together than it was to start the year. And yeah, I do think the pieces fit better, um, especially in the starting lineup. Thank God we're saying this. This is the first time I can say this. The pieces in the starting lineup fit a lot better right now than the pieces in that like bench unit they're going with right now. Um, by the way, that because there's going to be a lot of people that are like, well, that's why we need to keep the uh, the bench together. You know, That's why we had to start Fournier. Yeah, right. Um, no, I, I think really the main thing to, for me that I'm taking out of the bench stuff is like as Look, you have to live with some of the and and yes, quickly shooting and all that stuff is exacerbating the issue. But like, you're gonna have to live with that unit not being a good offensive unit because you have Jericho Sims and you have Isaiah Hartenstein on the floor together. If you watched how the Pacers were defending us, you're not getting anything inside the arc. And RJ can like still get to the rim a little bit, especially in transition or early clock. But like, once you get into a half court set with that group. It is a slog, and it's not going anywhere because <laughs> Sims is not a shooter and Hartenstein is a shooter. Uh, and if you're watching on YouTube, you'll see this. If you're not, I use very heavy air quotes around the Isaiah Hartenstein is a shooter. Um, and, like, it is what it is. Um, but but to my, my, what I was going to say is this is why I think even if you're not of the opinion that Obi should be here long term or whatever, um, you you can see visibly that like even his thirty four thirty five percent three point shooting makes a big difference makes a really big difference. I also think that group is playing slower without him, um, which might be a coaching tactic. And I'm not upset about that. By the way, I'm just saying I think that might be a coaching decision. Um, but like there's there's a trade off there, and you're gonna have to live with that trade off. But I don't want to talk about the bad stuff right now. I want to talk about the good stuff because the good stuff is very, very good. 
Um, and to go back to what you're talking about with starters, like Brunson is, yeah, he, he's just playing at such a high level and he brings order that I don't think existed. And I, I think like he actually, he had this possession yesterday in the second half. I forgot who, I think it might've been Julius that kicked out to him. He was wide open for a catch and shoot three. I forgot who was in the Pacers closed out to him. He still could have gotten, it was an open shot, but instead of taking it, he kicked it to RJ in the corner, who was 0-4 from three at that point. He missed it. Um, and I was annoyed because in my head, I'm like, you were like a 40% catch-and-shoot guy for years now. You, I want you to take that shot. But I think those are the small things of like him showing his teammates, I trust you to make this shot, that like you're not going to see in the box score. I mean, look, if he passed and he made the shot, he got an assist. But I'm saying like, those are key things that I think help build trust. And you see that, like, there are moments where I'm sure in his head he knows, like, I'm a better option right now to get a bucket than Julius Randle, but he'll set Randle up to go to work on the block, right? And that's that's part of the process. Like, you have to let these guys do their thing too. And I think the next step for him and for that group as a whole is really just to look for Grimes more and, like, get him more involved. And I'm not saying you need to run a bunch of like pick and rolls for him as a ball handler, but he needs to be more involved. I think he took three shots yesterday, and I'm not saying that's all on Brunson or like, but like, and this goes on all of them. This goes on the players. This goes on the coaching staff. You got to find a way to get him more involved. But like, the nice thing is that because of the rotations that are happening right now, the youth, the general youth of the lineup that it feels like the organization has leaned into a direction that makes fucking sense. Um, you're, I am, at least. I'm okay with like that being part of the process. And it's now it's something where it's like, okay, this is a thing that needs to improve, but I'm seeing other things improve, so I have patience for that. And not just and, and when I talk about things improving, not just the results, but the process of like everything the Knicks are doing right now is so much better than it's been fucking forever like i i don't know like i i really i'll put it this way when the knicks were down six yesterday in the fourth quarter i thought you know several players that played very poorly that stupid plays whatever you know and then grimes makes that stupid turnover at the end when they got the lead and you're like oh my god like they're gonna put it away now and like throughout all of that shit i was like not that upset i was just like okay like if they lose they lose but you're kind of, I'm, at least for me, again, I'm at a point where I'm like, okay, what they're doing makes sense. The process makes sense. And I'm very okay with just like, let the chips fall where they may. Let's reevaluate this team at the end of the year, basically, for me. Like, other than trying to maybe buy on a wing, a younger wing, an athletic wing, uh, before the deadline at a cheaper price or something, I'm fairly okay with just like, let's just. Keep this going. Let's play these same nine guys. Maybe Obi comes in for Jericho when he gets back, obviously. Um, and let's just see what happens. Because I, I think that there's good stuff happening. I think the process is good. I think the team is playing together. And um, you're seeing the vibes are good. The vibes are very good. Like, I, I don't, I think that needs to count for something. And it's like, this is better than 2020, 21, right? Because not only are the vibes good and we're winning basketball games, but like, you're doing it with a bunch of homegrown talent and just general youth. So it feels like you're building towards something. Whereas that year, as much fun as it was, I think in hindsight, you're looking back at it like, okay, you gave 
Reggie Bullock how many minutes? You gave Alec Burks how many minutes? You gave Nerlens Noel, Todd Gibson, Derek Rose. These are all Elf. older. Yeah, Elf. Like guys that were never going to be part of your long term solution or anything of so many minutes. And I'm not. I'm not saying that to like second guess what they did because I think that year was fun and like sometimes you just got to roll with it. But like this feels better to me as a fan and more really sustainable. Most, yeah, it's more sustainable and also just like the most optimistic I've been about the Knicks establishing some kind of foundation since fucking Patrick Ewing was on the team. Like, I'm not even joking when I say that. It actually feels like, wow, this team is setting itself up to be competitive now. You were never uh, optimistic during the D'Antoni, not even Navari's first great season. I mean, I was having fun. I wouldn't say I thought that team was built on a strong foundation. Um, but like, and even like the mellow years, like, yes, they were fun. But you always felt like this is like a two, three year window thing, and we've got to try to win it now. Obviously, and by the way, there's a juggernaut in Miami. We have to get past, so, right? Yeah. Right, and it's like this feels different because it's like, are the Knicks competitive in terms of like contending for a title right now? No, but you feel like, I, at least for me, this is how I can explain it. I watch this team, and I'm like, because Brunson has brought so much order to it, I think it's easier to envision like where. Let's say let's just throw out a hypothetical, right? Let's say that like uh let's say that the Suns are like the new ownership comes in, like we're gonna blow this fucking thing up. Uh Devin Booker hits the market, right? I have a better grasp on like, okay, what could the ceiling of this team be if the Knicks went, made an all in move with Devin Booker to add him to the mix with like Brunson and Randall and RJ or something, right? Whereas this summer when we were talking about Donovan Mitchell and like going all in and training for him, like I didn't have a good grasp of that, and that's why I didn't want to make that deal. And, and Booker okay. being a, a much better premier defender does matter there too, right? That yeah. he fits better next to Randall and Brunson because I do think you need that. What Grimes has done has allowed those guys to shine. So uh, a guy like Booker, I do think, is a, or obviously Tatum or. Jalen Brown will be a free agent, uh, I believe, in 2024. So, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think, like, look, if you want to argue that seeing how the team is playing now is an argument for why you should have made the Mitchell deal, I think that's missing a lot of context and, like, specific details of what that deal would have cost. But I can understand that point of view. But And I can only speak for myself. The reason I was not comfortable making that deal is I, I wanted to see, like, we didn't learn anything about the team last year, right? That was our frustration. We didn't learn enough. And like now it feels like we're actually learning things about the team that matter. And I have a better grasp of the situation and of the context. And it's like, okay, now I can kind of see like, okay, if we get a bump up here, if we get a bump up there, if we get a bump up in this thing and that thing, how does that move the needle? Like there's a much clearer understanding of that for me on a personal level. So like, you know, if let's say Mitchell hadn't gotten traded and now all of a sudden like, he was on the market right now, I think I might be. I, I probably would be a lot more comfortable being aggressive about going for him. But like, you know, this is my uh, this is the main thing for me. But like, you look at a team like Minnesota, right? They made the Gobert trade without ever. I don't think they had. They didn't have a proof of concept. First of all, of like cat at the four next to a rim running vertical big, so they didn't have a, a proof of concept of how that would work with Ant and all that shit. So that was a big risk. And I also think, like, you know, if you look at a team like Atlanta, that I wouldn't say they went all in on DeJounte Murray, but they made a very substantial bet on him 
how that works with Trey Young and all that shit. Like they made a bet without maybe trying to see if there was a lower cost co ball handler they could get. Um, and like, like Alan Brunson. Yeah, like maybe like, but yeah, maybe like, but I mean, obviously they didn't have the way to clear cap space that we did. But like, the point being is like they didn't really try that initially, so they took a leap of faith. And and for me, I'm just not comfortable doing that. And all I can say is now, having watched this team play for 30 games, I don't think you're taking as much of a leap of faith to be like, I want to pair star ball ball handler wing X with Jalen Brunson, right? And that's going to be the core of the team because I think Brunson really is that fucking good. Um, he, yeah, like I don't. It's not a fluke that he was the second best player on the team that went to the Western Conference Finals last year. I think that much I can say for sure. Yeah, and I think where I'll still not quite disagree. I do think you need to you need a defender like Grimes in that lineup, uh, which is why I still would not really be into emptying the cupboard for. And Donovan Mitchell is shooting at an absurd level right now. He's defending pretty well this year, too, gotta say. If I was a Utah fan, I'd be so fucking annoyed. Yeah. Um, Well, uh, (laughs) that one was, yeah. Um, I don't think people, I didn't see him shooting 42% from three on more volume. Um, You know, he's basically putting up Steph Curry-type scoring numbers right now, Um, which is not something to mention lightly. But I do think you need someone like that. So, um, and I think that, you know, you look at going forward. I don't know what the situation is in Boston. Uh, it does seem a little weird, like um, that. I, I think a guy like Jalen Brown just probably is never going to be a big fan of like the whole Boston culture for reasons that have been well documented. But I think he loves playing with Tatum. Um, but you know, the guys like that are, are going to be available. And here's the thing: even if the Knicks, I mean, is it fair to say that? The Knicks is it that outlandish to suggest that before they got Kawhi, the level where, of the, where the Raptors were, right, with Lowry and DeRozan, is it fair to is that that unreachable for this Knicks team? You know, like a consistent three four seed that gets destroyed by Giannis, and maybe I mean that's they, as much as they took flag for that. Eventually, when the, the opportunity came, they were ready to pounce and, and they got in the ring. You know, yeah, I mean, I think that's the platonic ideal of like where you're trying to go is because if you like you're you're right if you get to that level and you're consistently in that three four seed mix competing for the division i don't know look this division is fucking insane the celtics are awesome philly's putting it together toronto's fallen off but like you think you know maybe Masai has a trick up his bat or trick up his sleeve and uh, maybe scotty barnes doesn't actually suck he probably does fucking suck who knows um and Brooklyn still has KD. Yeah, they got Yeah, they're twelfth in defensive rating now, which is crazy considering how they started the season. But I mean, they, them, it's so funny. Like that, they got their shit together right around the time the Knicks got their shit together. Um, what they're on six like, game winning streaks right now. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And KD and Kyrie are balling. So like, like this is a brutal division. I, you, who knows how it plays out over the course of this season and moving forward? But like, if you're in that mix, um. Like yeah, I'll always believe, and the Knicks have not done it because they've been stupid. But if you're good and you're sustainably good and you're good for a while, guys are going to want to come here, and they're going to want to come here to play with dudes that are here, and you're going to have an opportunity to do it. You've got to pounce for the right guy, and that's the big thing. Is like when you're taking the path the Knicks are taking, it's not just about going for a star. It has to be the right star. Um, it has to be the right guy. 
And, and, and I think that guy has to be a defender with wingish size to fit next. To, if we're gonna do it with Brunson, RJ, and Randall, that is what I think. Yeah, and and, and it, look, I I want to say this, and I hope nobody takes us the wrong way. It doesn't need to be Brunson, RJ, and Randall. Like it, it, Randall could go, RJ could go. Like it doesn't. But whatever the case is, I agree with you. I think it needs to be a wing size defender. Like it, it has to be a wing that can play defense and is a shot creator, basically. So the premium archetype in the league. So it's key that whatever you do has to be for the right guy and has to be the right moment and all that kind of shit. But like, you're you're right. Like, there is that feeling that like if you can keep this going and you keep staying, and let's be real, like a guy like RJ, he's shown growth this year to me. And I know the efficiency numbers aren't there all the way, but like, I, I think I, I think by the end of the year we're gonna look at what he's done and be like, okay, this is a substantial actual offensive efficiency leap for him. Um, like he's from last year, not just from how awful he was at the beginning yeah. of the season. Yeah. Yep. Like how I think he he's not at his peak. Mitchell Robbins is not at his peak. We'll see what happens with quickly and Deuce and Grimes and you know fucking Obi and all these guys. But like, and think of twenty 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 one. And I do want to follow up on this. Randall, this this. I mean, you'd agree that at least on offense, this feels much more sustainable for oh, Randall yeah. than that season, right? It's 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 a result of shot died. It's not like he's shooting that well or like yeah. above his career average. It's just. Much better shot, and and the space and the spacing is like not it's still not good or great, but it is it's better. It's much better, obviously, because he's not playing with Alfred Bayon for half the fucking game. Um, but like or Kemba Walker, yeah, or Kemba Walker. <laughs> like it, it's just yeah, you're it, there's definitely something brewing here that makes sense. You have upside with players you have in house. You still have a lot of firsts coming down your way. Um, maybe those firsts by themselves don't help you land a superstar, but maybe the guys you pick or what you use to acquire them can. And the Knicks still have options. They have flexibility. They're in a good position. Um, I think the front office, they deserve credit for not pulling the trigger on the Mitchell deal, in my opinion. Uh, and then I think they deserve credit for... I'll say this. They, they had three massive decisions. Four, I guess you could say, to make this summer. Right, The first being all the machinations that were required to get Jalen Brunson. That was a big, big time. I don't want to say it was a calculated gamble. They rolled the dice so far. I wouldn't even say so far. So good. So far. So fucking great. Really, really fucking great. Jalen Brunson, four years, 104 million. Looks like a goddamn steal. Um, so, okay. I think it's fair to say they at least come out with credit with that decision, right? Trading out of 11, getting all that shit. Okay. That's the one. Second big decision, keeping Tibbs. Now, do I think Tibbs has independently arrived at all of the decisions he's made? No, I don't. But ultimately, the front office, Leon Rose specifically, made the bet that he would get more out of this team with Brunson and be willing to play the young guys and blah, 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 blah. Guess what? He has so far. So that's two, that's two big decisions that have gone in their favor. Third. Getting Brunson, having the summer off, all this shit, getting his mind right would result in a better ver a better Julius, a more focused Julius, more efficient, all that shit. So far, so good. That's three. Fourth big decision. We believe in what we have in-house, so we're not comfortable going all in to make a Donovan Mitchell trade. Now, we can't say definitively that was the right decision. But so far, this team is pretty good. 
it's trending in a direction that it's much better than most people anticipated, me and you included, by the way. Um, and I think they deserve credit for that. The fifth one, if you want to have a bonus, uh, would be giving RJ Barrett the extension he had. And it got out to a pretty rocky start, but you got to say from what you're seeing from him over the last 12, 13 games or so, pretty encouraging. So I'm not, I'm not ready to put that one, you know, hundred percent in the win column yet for them. So we'll just use that as a, that, that can be an honorable mention. Incomplete. Yeah. yeah. Incomplete, honorable mention, whatever you want to call it. But those first four decisions were big, big decisions. They're potential massive inflection points for the front office. Two of them, especially in combination, I really disagreed with. So, Which, uh, the Rich, Mitch and Randall or no, Tibbs, Tibbs and. Yeah. And the fact that that has worked out as well as it has. Look, I have egg on my face with that. So. I'm not too proud to say I should go fuck myself. Um, but, like, they deserve credit because they were getting a lot of heat. They got a lot of heat from fans. I think at the start of the year, they were getting a lot of heat, deservedly, for some of the way the rotations and all that shit was working out. And right now, again, we're sitting at 17 and 13. I think the Knicks have played, let me just check real quick. The Knicks have played the eighth most difficult schedule in the league. Um, and. They're 17 and 13. They're playing well. And they've had a couple of close games against good teams not go their way, too, right? So they've, they've played some good teams pretty tough. Memphis, is in particular, they had that game against Milwaukee, which was pretty close. Although I think I was more enthusiastic about that than you because I think you and a lot of other people said Milwaukee really kind of wasn't at its best that game. Um, but no, I mean, 17 and 13, I mean, to put it in perspective, um, you know, it, that's 30 games. So in the next 30 games, if the Knicks. Um, if the Knicks go 17 and 13 again, they'll be just three games off of last year uh, with 22 left. Um, so they could, um, you know, that that's the kind of pace they're on. I do want to get back to uh, to go back to um, us having egg on our faces. I don't think either of us wanted both Tibbs and Randall back. But I know even when Randall was showing some signs earlier this season, you know, I know especially after that ejection, we were both. Felt like even though he'd been playing well, you know, that showed some of the lingering kind of issues. Has Randall done enough for you to say, okay, I, you know, I'm happy to move forward with him? And if so, do you think the Knicks should be exploring Obi Toppin trades? Uh, as I said, I, I'll say this. I think when you have a good thing rolling, when the vibes are good, it's very hard to justify making a major in-season move. I think in this case, if this good vibes, good season was being largely uh, powered by the Evan Fournier's and Derek Rose's on the roster, I would be still probably pretty okay with moving Randall, but it's not. And I think what you're seeing from him with the young guys in the mix the team is in a good space overall. There might be individuals that are struggling, as we talked about several times already. Quickly is obviously in a very bad way, um, but like overall, things are trending in the right direction. You've got a lot of young guys playing well. I'm happy to keep him through the end of the year, and I'm happy to keep basically the old, the way I had to answer this question is this: the only players I'm very interested in trading at this moment for in season in season are Cam, Rose, Fournier, if possible. 
And, but at, at some point, you know, they have to make a decision between Randall and Obi. Right. right. And I think that that might happen this offseason. But for the time being, in season, unless there's some wing that's going to come in and, like, take those back up three, four minutes and and really give us an extra dynamic that also fits in, not just with, like, the goals of the current season, but as a piece to move forward with for the next two, three, four, or five years. Um, I'm not really that interested in it. I think it's easier or better maybe to wait for the offseason and and have a more... Again, like, we're seven games into this new rotation that is actually helping us learn about this team. I think it's worth rolling with this for the rest of the year and seeing what it gives you. Um, and like Randall's part of that too, because look, before the seven game stretch offensively, the season had been better for him for a while, but defensively and and just general energy effort, all that type of stuff, it was still to be generous, a very mixed bag. Um, if not just flat out awful, but he has picked it up the last seven games. So I'm tentatively okay with him i'm not ten- i am okay with him right now i'm happy with him right now actually i'm not convinced that that needs to be a long-term state of things but like with what he's giving us right now i'm happy to keep him around for this year unless there's some offer you get that blows you out of the water which i don't anticipate happening <laughs> um but like this is you know it's a it's a good it's a good thing they've got brewing i would not want to fuck with it for anything other than a great opportunity. I'm not sure that great opportunity for a great fit or something would is going to come along this year. And I'm okay with that. I'm very okay with it. Um, we can reassess at the end of the year what we want to do with the team moving forward, how to build it. If we want to move Randall at that time, whatever it is. But the vibes are good. The vibes are very good. And I think it's a dangerous thing to fuck with the good vibes. Um, there is a name I have in mind. Um, so Raptors Twitter is, is, is in a bad place. Um, and there has recently been talk about them perhaps blowing it up. Um, or at least, you know, you could see some of the guys, the vets on the move. You know, um, I doubt they would move Siakam for anything other than a blockbuster, but a guy like OG Ananobi, you've thrown his name out there a couple of times. Do you think that's a guy the Knicks might target? Uh, you know, add more wing defense and, um, you know, uh, maybe you are. They are resetting. You know, one of the rookie deals. But yeah. Um. Did you? Okay. So here's my. Here, I'll throw this back to you. How would you feel about the Knicks acquiring OG Ananobi? Let's just say it's draft capital to give up. So you're not giving up any core pieces. You're not giving up any of the guys in the rotation right now. Um. Whatever. Just draft capital and some salary filler. Whatever the fuck it is. How would you feel if Grimes then got moved to the bench to accommodate OG? And now your starting lineup is whatever, Brunson, OG, RJ, Randall, Mitch. How do you feel about that? And then how do you think that plays out, you know, not just in the locker room, but just like how 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 do you think that impacts us moving forward? I don't I don't I think this team is pretty short on egos. Um and it's not just the young guys, by the way. I think Rose, and you can see Evan Fournier, I think, I think he's handled this extremely professionally. Um, you can see he's as excited as anyone else on the bench. Um, even last night after, uh, after a heartbreaking loss for Fournier, um, you know, so, um, 
you know, you can see, I don't think that'll, that's not the issue. I do worry a little bit about the spacing of that um, starting lineup um, with, with OG there. I mean, I think Grimes probably is a better shooter, but um, you know, I, I mean, I think OG has proven himself as a capable shooter. Um, I definitely don't think it's like, you know, RJ Barrett level or something. Um, he's having a little bit of a down year, but career 37% three point shooter. I showed the ability to pull up. And I think what, what you really need, I, I'll say this a million times, what you really need next to that trio, um, you know, you have, I think, a really good defender. Um, I'll call Mitch at this point a sub elite defender because I don't think he's elite, but sub elite. Mitch? Sub elite, yeah. I think he, that's crazy because you're the big Mitch guy and I've been the one that's like waffle all over him. I don't know, man. He's I been playing he really well. There's still, I mean, the foots, like if I'm, if I'm thinking about like Capella Rudy, um, I think like there is there was one play yesterday where he just got blown by Matherin. That was um I, I would like just just there's so many good center defenders. If you want to call him elite, that's fine too. But the point is for that lineup he makes a lot of stuff work. But I do think they need someone better next to um a good defender next to Brunson. And I think OG gives you that. And maybe putting Grimes in that second unit could juice them a little bit, you know? Um because you can, you've been talking about the spacing. Getting Obi back will help, but um, you know, with McBride there, they don't have a ton of firepower on that bench unit. Um, and getting quickly another connector next to him can help get him going. I think so. I, I don't think it would be a bad. Um, I, I wouldn't be too concerned about that. Um, yeah, I guess I would feel uh, a little bit. I don't know. I, I wouldn't like that. I'll be honest with you. I like. I think OG's a good player. I don't feel comfortable displacing anybody in that starting lineup right now for anything short of an All Star. So, like, is OG really good? Absolutely. Is he an All Star? Probably not. Um, and he's not going to be some type of perennial All Star. I mean, it depends uh, on the cost, right? If it's like one. First. Yeah, I mean, it's not going to be that though, right? Because if it was one first, they probably would have traded him by now. But do you think he goes for cheaper than Dejounte Murray did? I think it'll probably be around the same price. Yeah, then I think that's that is a little rich. Yeah, yeah and I think this is what people don't like. I, I hate doing this because it sounds like I'm preaching or something, and I'm like, oh, like I'm people don't get this, but I do because I'm smart. Um, and as anybody knows, I'm not smart. But like, like I, I think. When you make these trades for it's like unprotected picks and whatever, and it's like I saw because I saw uh, you know Sam Quinn and CBS whatever the hell his handle is, he tweeted out last week like, oh, I'd love if Indiana traded two unprotected, like paid the Dejounte Murray price, the Iron price uh, for her, for OG edit Obi, and I just replied, I'm like that move seems fucking awful. Like when you start trading unprotected picks, you're not. To me, it's not a like unless you're trading for a true star, right? And I think this is why both me and you were like, that move for Cleveland is a home run. It makes complete sense because you're trading for a true star and you already have like a pretty awesome foundation in place. And if he's going to shoot like Steph Curry, then it looks even better. So. Right. Right. Like, I don't think the Pacers have a sick foundation in place yet. I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry. I'm not impressed with Tyrese Halliburton. I don't give a fuck what his numbers are. Okay, I don't care how great his efficiency is. I don't care how many assists he's averaging. I don't care about what his shooting splits are. That dude, uh, here's, here's a follow-up question for you. Long term, who do you think is the best prospect on that team? Uh, Matherin by far. 
by I far, have, right? I mean, I, I'm yeah. not sure I am quite there with you as down on Halliburton, but there's an argument. He looks terrific. You know, even last night yeah. he gets some shots to fall, but he just, uh, yeah. dude, you can't really like. He might. He's gonna have stretches where he looks like an absolute moron, but like at the end of the day, you're gonna look at the box score and be like, pretty efficient, 17, 18 points somehow. Like he just, he's gonna get buckets, that dude. Um, but like, look, Halliburton is. He's a good player. Don't get me wrong. He's a good player. People talk about this guy like he's the second coming. Oh, my God. The franchise. I'm sorry. I watched that game yesterday. Jalen Brunson is on another fucking planet compared to Tyrese Halliburton. Complete different planet. Absolutely. Like, that end of game stuff. And what? One, i not taking any, anything away from Julius's defense on Halliburton on those last two possessions. Like, he was fucking awesome. You know, stopped him once, stopped him again. Because crimes had the dumbest brain fart I've seen in a while, uh, but like you look like you really did look like Chris yeah. Webber on that last play. It was play so weird. So I don't even know why, why didn't like Tibbs just call a timeout or something. Anyway, it was very weird. Um, but like, like he didn't want to take those shots. You could see it the entire fourth quarter. He does not want to take those shots, and it's 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 like in his head he's like protecting his efficiency. I would love to know. If he was supposed to miss what that second free throw yesterday, I'd love to know that. I would love to, um, but like he, he didn't want the ball. He didn't want the, He didn't want. He didn't want to take the shot at all at any point in the fourth quarter. He's driving kick. He he was playing some of the most cowardly basketball you'll see from a lead ball handler on a team that he has carte blanche. On. Absolute cowardly stuff from him. I thought it was really pathetic, um, and. I don't want to echo Wally's sentiments, but I do. Like, in the sense of Jalen Brunson showed him what an all-star looks like yesterday. And I'm, I know the Pacers have had a nice year and all that type of stuff, but, like, I think I think people are really underselling how much the level of shooting they have, and, and, and very specifically from veterans like Buddy Heald and Miles Turner is helping him and and what the real drivers of success are on that team, which isn't to say that Tyrese Halliburton isn't contributing to their success this year, but like you watch them play Golden State without Tyrese Halliburton, and they whooped them. Andrew Nemhard has like what thirty one fucking ten or whatever the hell he had, and obviously that's like I'm not saying Andrew Nemhard is now some star guard that is being you know. Don't some tell Larry is. Israel that man. Larry's <laughs> been Larry's been on. I'll give him credit. Nemhard has made him look good, but uh, he's been on that bandwagon for, for a long time. I like Nemhard. I think he's a good player. Um, I think they have a lot of good players. Like, and and that's my thing is like people are acting like this is Tyrese Halliburton doing it by himself, right? Like, I don't think Jalen Brunson's doing it by himself, right? It, Randall's been good. RJ's been good. Quickly suck recently, but he was good. And the defense has still been really good. There's yeah. a reason he's still closing games. So right. Like and and he was good earlier in the season. You know, Grimes has been good. Mitch has been good. Like nobody does it alone, especially when you're not, you know, one of these like Giannis or yeah, right. But like this, I like. I think people have completely lost their minds with Tyrese Halliburton. Where it's like, oh, he's averaging ten point seven assists and blah 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 blah. And I'm like, okay, watch the game. Like just actually watch the game, and you try and tell me how many times he's making a play where. When when did you at any point? I'm gonna ask you this: at any point in that fourth quarter, were you like, "Oh fuck, Tyrese Halliburton has the ball"? I didn't feel that way once. I felt that way when Buddy Hield had the ball a couple of times. I did. Neither I was had the ball a few times. Yeah, have a great game. 
I was like, oh, fuck. Like, the, the, we're, we're in a bad spot here. At no point when Tyrus Salaburn had the ball did I feel like the way. And also, I want to say this. I'm assuming this is a coaching thing. A very good attention to detail. Buddy Heald absolutely killed RJ yesterday. He's a tough cover, okay? Because and he's specifically not, his strengths are the things that RJ is not great at, right? But he he killed RJ off the bounce with stepbacks going to his left. That's his bread and butter shot. It's a tough shot to defend. I this must have been a coaching to attention detail because on that last possession when Grimes got the steal and then. I, again, I I can't even describe what the hell that was. But if you watch it... You watched that Patriots game and was like, I want, I want to top that. <laughs> Let's do this. Uh, but he... Like, if you watch that, RJ is just sitting on his left. He is sitting on his left. He's not going to let him go that way. He's actually baiting him to drive. Going to his right, his strong hand. Because he knows Buddy doesn't actually want to drive there. I thought that was a really... It was a good adjustment by RJ, but more specifically, I think that's probably something where you've got to give credit to Tibbs and the coaching staff because that was such a notable, detail-oriented adjustment in a critical moment. Um, and it was right after Buddy had made that step back going to his left, like right in front of the Knicks bench, right? I think that it was after Grimes hit a three, and then they get fouled. Miles Turner misses both free throws. Somehow we don't get the rebound. There's a jump ball. It shouldn't have been a jump ball, by the way. Uh, it should have just been a foul on Grimes. Uh, they win the jump ball, and then it ends up with that shot. And it's like, that felt like a dagger. Obviously, it ended up not being one. But, like, again, the broader point is, like, yeah, uh, I think you got to give Tibbs a, little, a lot of credit there. And then, again, back to your point about uh, question about Tyrese Halliburton. Like, to me, he is a guy that is really good, but... If you're asking me, like, who in that draft, like, like if you're gonna, if you want me to regret passing on somebody, it would be like Maxi, yeah, like it'd be like Maxi, or even arguably Bane, right? Bane, like Bane. Yeah. okay. And I don't mean at 25. Like, I think Bane, you could easily have picked him at eight. I, I don't know where you had him on your board, but I, I mean, know he's. You, you could argue that he's probably the third. He's probably been the third best player. Yeah, um, you can. And, and um, I, I and I just mean like I, I know that I had him in the high teens, I believe. Um, yeah. A lot of it was you know drinking the Spencer Perlman Kool Aid, and I know he was uh, he was a big proponent, and he looks pretty smart looking back on I that. I think I think Prez might have had him like top ten or something, but like yeah. there were people that were really high. I mean, draft Twitter was way higher on him than um, obviously yeah. people in the draft were. So, but yeah. Uh, all right, before we continue, gotta let you know the NBA season is heating up, and there are still. So many things yet to be settled. Yet yet to be settled. Oh, my God. Uh, like, are the Knicks going to win the Atlantic Division? I keep mentioning this, but it, it might be possible. Who knows? They are streaking, and the season is falling apart for the Celtics after they lost two in a row to the Magic. Just kidding. <gasps> when I'm looking to get in on the action, I bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can bet just $5 pregame money line and any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Check this out. Right now, everyone can earn up to a 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, place a same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, total rebounds, and more. The more legs you add, the bigger the boost, the bigger your shot to win big. Download the app now, sign up with code TBPN, place a $5 pregame Moneyline bet on any NBA team to win their game, and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's code TBPN, only a DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Um, 
But yeah, like I, it's what to go back to the question about OG and Anobi. Like I, I don't know. I, I just I think it's really delicate to to add a player to the mix that genuinely moves the needle, not just this year, but moving forward. And that's why, like, when people are talking about, like, well, what do we want the team to add before the deadline, right? What what do they need? Like, to me, I'm not looking at some high-end, like, market value piece. To me, you should just worry you about... Think like, OG, you, don't think, you don't think OG is going to be available for any kind of discount, I guess? No, absolutely not. It's Masai. Masai is not trading for discount. And I think he's such an archetype that, like... Teams want right, like defensive three and D wing, who's probably playing the best ball of his career so far this year. Uh, that's it on a, all NBA defense level. Yeah, yeah. I think I saw a stat today. They're like they're zero four without him, and they're giving up one hundred and twenty points a game in those games when he doesn't play. So yeah, um, but like they, I, I just, I just don't see a discount for him. But like, if if you're asking me, like, what is who's a guy, right? the caliber of player I'd be looking for. And these are names that people are going to be like, what the fuck are you talking about? Um, like two guys that I've just thought about and like I would just kick the tires on because I think they might be available for pretty cheap. Jalen McDaniels in Charlotte. Uh, and you G- Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then uh, Garrison Matthews in, in Houston. <laughs> Long-time Schwinn swin favorite. Yeah. Garrison yeah. Matthews. I, I, look, I'm just saying like you, you need a wing. Okay, McDaniel's is more of an athletic slasher, so I, I think he fits. I think he gives you like a three-four type option. So he'd be thirty-six like, percent like, career three-point yeah. shooters. So. He he's a guy that I think you don't need to give up a ton of value for. Uh, I don't think the, the Hornets have a plan. They probably don't even plan on keeping him because they're idiots, like they did with Malik Monk. Um, he's also he he can be what you wanted Cam to be, right? So yeah, so I think he's somebody, and then like. The reason I say Garrison Matthews is he's just like he's a he's on a cheap contract that I think ties him up for the next year or two. He's a good shooter, not a great shooter, a good shooter. He like competes on defense. He's not a great defender, but he competes on defense. But like he's probably not going to cost you that much. And you I haven't used the word grittier, so I'm no. Impressed. He he's the kind <laughs> of guy I would uh, I would want my hypothetical daughter to date. Um, <laughs> but like. Like these are the type of dudes I'm just talking about. Like this is the type of player I'm looking at because I'm not interested in giving out a bunch of assets for a high end piece right now in season, especially when we're talking about like high end piece, right? Like if SGA was on the market, okay, that's different. But like if the high end market piece is OG Ananobi, I don't want to compete at the top end of the market for that. And so I would be looking to buy on the cheap, like, like see what guys are more bargains and um, hunt for value there because I think you need to keep your powder dry for whatever inevitable consolidation star whatever kind of trade you want to call it um, does pop up down the line. Yeah, um, I think that's a fair assessment. I think that my view of the price for OG, I was thinking, what if it was like a a first and quickly? Would you do that? Um, I think I probably wouldn't, and I know people would be like, you're insane, but like, if the, I'll put it this way, if the Knicks did that, and I think most GMs would do that, if the Knicks did that, I can't look at that and be like, oh my god, this is fucking terrible. Like, you know, I just worry, and I know, like, again, I know quickly struggling significantly, 
I do think that people are not putting enough. Um, I don't think people are really accounting for the issues that that Sims Hartenstein look real, like, especially for a ball handler like him, um, creates. He's got to figure it out. I think he will. He's shown this time and again in his career. He figures this shit out. It'll look ugly. He's going to have some bad stretches. He'll figure it out. I have confidence in him doing that. Um, we saw this with RJ. He started the year off as probably as shitty as you could. He's figured it out. If you want to be a young and developing team and you want the Knicks to do it the right way and blah, 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 then when these young guys struggle at times, don't freak out. Don't start, oh, we need to bench him. Oh, we should trade him now. This is why they should let it play out. Um, but like, I also, I just worry, like, so our backup point guard then is going to be Deuce. Like, I, I like Deuce a lot. He has never shown any type of ball handling, even close to quickly, who isn't even like an elite ball handler or anything. But so you'll probably put Rose back in the rotation at that point. Do I, is that a good thing? No, but the trade off, get a wing. You know, you got you got you got OG Ananobi. That's the trade off, right? So. Yeah, I mean, I, I get that. I just I don't like that. I think that's a really big problem not having ball handling. We're seeing that with Toronto. Like Toronto has one ball handler, and that's been a really big problem for them. I I think the Knicks are actually in a position where they have one super awesome point guard right now, a guy who's struggling quite a bit, but has shown very good sustained flashes even previously um, of solid point guard play, if not a little bit more. Let's. Again, like I, I'm not, I'm just not really interested in switching up the the vibes and the chemistry right now for somebody like OG Ananobi, who to me ultimately, like, where do you rank him among wings in the NBA? You know what I mean? Is he a top ten wing? Is he a top fifteen? Maybe top fifteen? Like, is that really a dude that you're like? Let's start. And I know what you're saying. Like, if okay, so if the price was like quickly in a first, sure, do it. Fine. It probably that's, isn't the price anyway. Right, but that's not the price. Like the price is never going to be that because if that's the price, all of a sudden you're going to get a team like Memphis. They'll be like, okay, we have like 7,000 picks. Here's a few. You're going to get a team like Pelicans. Hey, we have we need to consolidate anyway. Let's give up a bunch of shit to get him. Like, And we still have all these Laker. Like, they still have so much shit left over, right? They're just teams that are going to be in a position to offer more. And not just in a position to, but probably with more immediate desperation to do it um because like i mean if you're a team like memphis right or new orleans for that matter if i'm either of those teams i'm looking at the west and i'm like we we need to just go for it like this west is not strong and not that strong it's opened up for us let's take a shot uh i think both those teams should be super aggressive on the trade market yeah it makes sense um and uh, I, I, I actually love the McDaniels idea. Um, I don't know that Charlotte is that stupid, and I think he's probably the kind of guy they should keep around. But you know, you never know. Definitely, um, definitely been a bit of a weird franchise. Um, the other thing I would mention is, um, I think I've, I don't know if we've talked about this, right? But he, he is a he's an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year, Jalen McDaniels. So. Yeah, but I mean, those are the kind of, they will have bird rights. Like, those are the kind of guys you try to hang on to, right? If you're young and if you have a, if your best player is a point guard who doesn't play a lick of defense, um, you know, those are the kinds of guys you usually want to keep around. So, um, what I did want to ask is how much, 
how much do you think the depth of the draft is going to play into some of this thinking? We talked about a, a wing initiator um, with length, right? And if I told you there was a guy who is a three-level scorer shooting over 40% from three, that was 6'8". There's actually a few of those guys um, in this draft. Do you think that will at all play into how they might think about trades? Does that play into how you're, you're viewing the situation? You know, the draft just being loaded and the Knicks having at least two picks probably at this point. Yeah, I think that that probably does play into it. Um, I, I'm generally a little bit more risk averse anyways when it comes to trades. I think rushing into stuff is usually a mistake. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, the fact that this draft... But he's a little big now, but you'll grow into him. <laughs> uh, but, like, I think this draft is... Uh, look, I'm not a draft person, but from everything I'm being told constantly, by press usually, uh, this draft is super loaded, and... and particularly have, wing. Particularly yeah. Wing, yeah. And not only that, but, like, we do... Like, I know those protected picks... Look, those protected picks aren't going to make the difference from you going from, like... 17 to 5, right? But let's say you need to get up to 14. Do you have the ammo to do that? Probably. Like, you have ammo to get up, move up a few picks here and there, right? Like, with the picks you have in this draft, I think there's value to be had and ways to move around the board to get the type of profile that this roster is missing. And not just that, but like you probably will be in a position where you don't need to immediately thrust those guys into the rotation and expect them to help you win ball games, right? I mean, look, we know if Tibbs is here, which it seems like he's going to be, um, they're not just going to like throw rookies into the mix anyway. But like, be because of the profile of the team right now, you probably wouldn't feel that annoyed by it, and it helps ease these guys in and you're not putting pressure on them. Will they get their opportunities? Probably at some point. But like, I think there's value to that. Um, but yeah, I mean, to your, to, to your actual question here, like, yeah, uh, I think that should play a part in it for sure. Um, that they do have those picks and that's a way to go about taking shots uh, on wings as well, especially like you mentioned in this draft. Yeah, and I think that probably gives them a little bit more, uh, you know, it probably makes them feel like they can afford. I wonder if that's part of the reason they'd be willing to, um, you know, look at not moving up with with Reddish. Um, there are a couple of guys. Uh, incidentally, Kentucky has a point guard who is an elite point of attack defender who's shooting fifty percent from three. So if they wanted to replace their Kentucky guard who fits that profile, um, you know, and reset the contract. Those are options for them. So I do, I wonder, especially with us hearing about Reddish being out of the rotation and quickly his name continuing to pop up in trade rumors, I do wonder if they're looking at, at resetting some of these contracts. And I also wonder that if Randall, by the end of the year, you know, they, you know, convinces them that whatever else, you know, he's, um, you know, he's worth moving forward with, especially if Brunson's here. I do wonder if that's something they look at with Obi. I mean, I mean, how much do you think resetting how much do you think the financial implications of extending? It looks like Cam's out, but Obi and Quickly in particular, how do you think they're thinking about those extensions? And, and could we see them try to reset the rookie contract? I mean, I think they might, but like I also think that that's something that doesn't need to happen right away. Um, I don't think, I think it's very obvious that this, 
the, even if they want to reset it, they won't reset it at the expense of winning ball games, right? So, like, if even if they want to move quick, I don't think they would hesitate to extend him at a price they feel they can trade him at later. Um, especially because they know they can win ball games in the meantime with him, right? So, um, in that sense, like, I think I they wouldn't. I don't think. I guess the best way to put it is they won't trade quickly or Obi just to reset the rookie scale. If they trade them, it'll they'll trade them to net positive whatever value. your positive value that they think they can capture. Um, and like because they have those picks anyway, they're gonna reset the rookie scale effectively, or at least have that opportunity anyway. They don't need to move them to do it, I guess, is probably the best way to put it. Um, and as I mentioned before, I think those are the guys that, or those are guys that you maybe should extend, even if your ultimate goal is to trade them, because they're attractive pieces as kind of like the salary filler in a star trade. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think they would trade them just to trade them. I think they would trade them, again, in that positive value, or yeah, to, to push their baseline forward if they think there's a player that does that more so than they do. So um, that's something there. I do agree with you that like at some point, the Obi Randall thing, and again, that might be this summer, Like, it's just not really... I don't want to say it's not tenable, but it's not... It's not really a great use of resources. Um, if Randall's going to be here and he's playing really well, like he's going to play, what, 33, 34, 35 minutes, something like that? At the very low end, you'd say maybe 31, 32. It's just not a lot of time for Obi. Um, and if that's the case, like you should probably trade him this offseason and maybe try to get a different profile of four, like a combo forward or something. Yeah, and I think someone like Jalen McDaniels does fit in that realm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it has to agree. Um, going back to kind of the second unit struggles, right? I know you mentioned the Sims and Hartenstein spacing thing. I think quickly also got a lot of good looks that he just missed yesterday. Um, I didn't watch the Friday game. I saw he was one for 12. Uh, you don't have to harp too much on quickly, but what do you think are... So I think that one thing that helped RJ, for example, was when he was really struggling. I can remember the play. This It's probably not the, the best way to describe this, but one play that it seemed to change things was, um, you know, Sims set a screen for him on the right side, he came up, got the ball, Sims rolls into an easy alley-oop. And RJ got the ball in the move, he got the ball going to his left, and had a very simple read. And since then, I think that the tunnel vision has gone. The downside of that is there were a couple of um, comically bad passes from RJ yesterday, where I think he was close to hitting some of the hot dog vendors in the stand. Um, but um, but you're seeing less of that. You're seeing, you know, he's getting... And I wonder if getting the ball on the move or in those kind of actions for quickly, whether that's getting him a, an easy spot up look, whether that's having him used as a screener more, if that's the way, if putting him in more pick and rolls is the way. Um, and in general, like, I wonder, you know, I, you've talked about the hard and science Sims spicing, spacing, but with, with Obi out, the reality is they're going to have some suboptimal lineups. Um, you know, are there any thoughts you have on how to juice that bench unit? Um, sorry, my internet cut out for a little bit, but um, I'm assuming you're just talking about how to juice the bench unit. Is that correct, more or less? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think 
you can try different things. Like, I, look, some of the look at the end of the day, a lot of this just boils down to quickly making some shots, and I think that can mask up some of the offensive deficiencies. But ultimately, like, you're just not going to get a lot of good shots at the rim from your perimeter guys because the spacing sucks. But like, if you want to spruce it up a little bit, you know, maybe use Sims as an off-ball screener to free up Deuce or quickly for curls and stuff like that. We've seen them actually do that a few times, so maybe do that a little bit more. Um, I thought yesterday, like, again, quickly shot like shit. He didn't play a great game. I'm not trying to say he did. I actually thought his the shots he took were a lot better to me than what we've seen recently. Uh, he had a, he had a pull up in the start of the game. I like that he didn't hesitate when he got a kick out, shot it again. I like that he tried to take another pull up that he didn't hesitate on. Like I liked that he was not hesitating yesterday, and that doesn't mean his decision making was great. Wasn't, but I think he needs to. Like there was a quote actually that Rose mentioned after the Bulls game on Friday. Uh, they were asking him, you know, like how he feels about mentoring you know, these young guys because he's not playing and all that shit. And he was talking about some advice he gave Grimes. And he said, you know, I've been talking to Grimes about, like, when the shot wasn't going in for him, I know he was, like, kind of in a, in a bad spot. And I just told him, like, you have to fucking keep shooting because the only way to start making shots, like, you're not giving yourself a chance to turn it around unless you're taking those shots. And I think that was actually, it sounds so simple, but, like, that is exactly right. Who said that to Grimes? Sorry. Rose. Rose, Rose did and I think that's really key. And uh, I thought that was like what Quickly was doing yesterday. Was it maybe a little bit forced and misguided? Yeah, sure. But give me Quickly taking shots, not hesitating, not passing up open threes. And yes, the preserve there was limited. one he passed, up, which, um, well, uh, Jeff or Frank Barrett just highlighted this there was one in the third quarter which at the time i was really frustrated about where he he walked into what would have been a wide open three in transition but uh, that one looked like he was just scared of, of tips or something because he passed it up he finds randall as or rj as a trailer rj ends up forcing up but on replay it didn't look that bad rj had a lane in semi-transition um so, so yeah, I, yeah. I guess I guess my point is like to go back to your question about you know how to spruce up. I don't think there's a lot of easy fixes, really. Like they've tried a few things. You know, I've seen them. Yesterday they went to using uh, Hartenstein on the short roll and having Sims in the dunker spot. They actually got a really nice dunk out of it, out of a Hartenstein pass. But like, there's just only so much you can do when Quickly's not making shots. RJ wasn't making threes yesterday. Deuce is not a threat right now with the ball in his hands. Um, and like Sims and Hartenstein aren't spacing the floor. So there's only so much you can do. I think they just have to hope. And I think he will. Like, I'm not that worried about it, uh, about quickly turning it around long term. Is it painful to watch? Yeah, of course it is. But like, I'm not that worried about him turning it around. I think it's going to happen. And when that happens, that, that unit will be fine. I think they're mostly like, I, I don't know. I'll, I'll pull it up now. But like, I think they've been, you know, because you've got to look at basically just the well, Sims cards. They make up for it with just terrific defense, right? So. Right, and so like that's my point. Is like I think they're mostly okay now, but basically what you're ta- what we're talking about is like if quickly just starts making shots, that yeah, you might just be able to get by like with only two guys capable of doing anything with the ball and another guy that can kind of shoot right now, 
and two total non-spacers. But like <laughs> they might be able to get it by with it because that defense has been so good, generally speaking, with that group. Yeah, and um, I mean, I, I guess the um, the other question is, how much do you think of it is just a lack of shot? I mean, do you think adding a guy like Derek Rose is something they would go to? No. Um, I, think, I think Rose is basically done in New York as far as actually fitting in. By the way, extremely, extremely, extremely small sample size. With Jericho Sims and Hartenstein on the floor, only 44 minutes. They have a plus 11.2 net rating, uh, 112.35 offensive rating, 101. Which is much better than, wow, 112 yeah, is one, actually higher than I thought. Yeah, 101.15 uh, defensive rating. So, and that's busy uh, always quickly as the lead guard, right? They're not really playing. Yeah, I've never. Yeah, I've seen. I don't know. I, I would imagine I can pull that up right now too. Um, they have played. Uh, yeah, all forty-four of those minutes are with quickly as a lead guard, every single one. Um, so, yeah, like that unit has struggled, and they've struggled with quickly shooting like shit for the most part. So, like offensively they've struggled, but defensively they've been really good. And that unit's been a really big plus. So like let it play out. Let quickly figure out his shit. It'll be fine. I'm not that worried about it. And I do I'll I'll say I do like how Tibbs there's okay, so there's two sides to this coin. I like that Tibbs has made it a point to have Randall or RJ on the floor with with like especially he's made it a point to have RJ on the floor with that unit, right? I do like that. I don't like yesterday, especially. I felt like this, and I, I, I wanted to be very clear. This is not really like a criticism of Tibbs yesterday. This is just something I would like to see be leaned on less. I get it. Yesterday was one of those. It was a rough game. It, it rough. It was tough. It was physical. It was competitive. Right. It was tight throughout. And in those moments, I know Tibbs. Tibbs is going to lean on the guys he trusts the most with the ball in their hands. And obviously right now, that is Brunson, that is RJ, that's Randall. That's fine. I think there are times where we get a little bit too focused on, okay, RJ's on the floor with this guys. It's time for RJ to cook. So let's just do like point RJ stuff. And it's like, dude, you guys not the best way for him to cook. He's his best, I think, when he gets the ball on the move. That's Yeah, I 100% agree. Um, But like sometimes the offense just gets a little bit too disjointed and very much like, Okay, it's Brunson's time. Oh, it's Randall's time. Oh, it's RJ's time. And I like this isn't just related to quickly. I think you see guys get lost in the mix, and that's why like our supporting cast is so. Look at their averages. I think we're. I think we only have three guys averaging double figures right now, right? So like, part of that is yes, quickly has to make shots, but and Grimes has to take more shots when he has the opportunity. But like, they're also just not getting a lot of on ball reps right now, or opportunities to even do that. And so, um, and I, I think you need to use quickly more off ball motion. There's just way too many where you see him standing in the corner, you know. Uh, and I know he knows how to relocate and lift, but that's if that's really all he's doing. Um, I just uh, yeah, just just more off ball action for him and and Grimes especially. Like the guy was a movement shooter, like out of college. Like he has that in his bag. You can use that. You should utilize that more. Again, like this is not really like shitting on Tim's or anything. It's just. These are ways to improve. These are like margins that you can tilt in your favor. So, um, yeah, I would like to see more of that. But like, yeah, I mean, that bench unit, it's fine to me. You're you're making a little bit of a trade-off. The trade-off has been pretty okay in a small sample so far. So let it play out. 
Um, and if quickly gets a shit, like the craziest thing about this winning streak is quickly has been in a fucking horrific slump, and you're still winning these ball games. Like when quickly joins the party, this team, like I think they they're really, I, I I would say me and you and plenty of others, even when we've been optimistic about what these young guys can do and like where that what that can mean for the team. Probably did not account for just how good and impactful Brunson would be to an extent, how much Randall would recover. And because of that, like, RJ is bouncing back right now. We're seeing the impact that has. If quickly joins the party, like, this team can really be dynamic. Uh, same with Obi. Like, these guys can add even more firepower and dimensions to the team that we're missing right now. And even like Grimes, like, he's obviously been really good, but. It's not like he's consistently scoring, right? Like, if any of these guys consistently find a rhythm, this team is going to be fucking tough to play and tough to beat, especially in the regular season. Yeah, and, and I think they're more playoff proof than certainly they were against Atlanta. Um, there are two things they've added from that since that Atlanta series. Uh, the most obvious one is Brunson and shot creation, but um, that. Seeing the effect of like when Elena can't just key in on Randall, he's still capable of destroying them. We all remember that series, but in the regular season, he's been effective against them, and he's been helped out. I think when he get when he does get to play in those lineups with Brunson. The other thing is, I mean, I think even back then, um, I think people still underappreciate just how big a difference not having Mitchell Robinson made in that series. Um, and I think you can see like. Halliburton is a different player than Trey, but he likes those floaters and those kind of ways to keep bigs off balance. And that just that's something that used to get Mitch and that and Trey Young killed the Knicks with that in that series. But with Grimes out there and, and often the Knicks, you know, putting Grimes and and Mitch in pick and roll, like just just that level of on ball defense and being able to get over screens and force a slightly tougher angle is all Mitch needs. And you have those two, and I'm, I'm, they might not play the Hawks, but you know the kind of challenges that they had matchup-wise in the playoffs, those will not be there. Now, the problem is they still don't have a Giannis. They don't have, um, I mean, who does, right? No one has anyone that can match up with Giannis. You know, Boston has probably too much on the wing and can play that style of hellish, you know, not fun to play against basketball. But outside of that, this is also, again, to your point about feeling better, it doesn't feel like a team that's just... Um, that's it. They're not relying so much on just trying harder than the other team every night, right? They have real talent, you know. Yeah, I mean they do, and like I just think, dude, Brunson really gives you something that. I mean, dude, Brunson is—he's a tough shot maker. I don't know how many like I've seen him against all kinds of defenders, right? Wings, guards, bigs, whatever. Do different guys give him different issues, and can he struggle at times? Sure, absolutely, I, definitely. Like he's not an explosive athlete, so there's always going to be moments where that that hurts him a little bit. But like, I, I don't see guys that are consistently locking him up. Like sometimes he just misses shots, but he's not getting locked up, you know. Um, and, and ultimately, like we're talking about a guy that put up without Luca on the floor, right? He put up forty and thirty in back to back playoff games that really kind of like probably was a massive reason the Mavericks made the playoff run they did last year. Um that's a dimension that not we didn't we didn't even have anything close to that against the Hawks. 
Um, so, yeah, I and that's and going back to the Hawks, right? If if the other team does have a poor defender, who are you hiding them on? Grimes, I guess. Um, but even Grimes is probably more capable of of shooting a contested shot than Reggie Bullock. So, yeah, yeah, and 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 like Grimes is this, but this is what we're talking about. Like there are ways that you can use Grimes to hunt Trey. In a, in a hypothetical scenario, right? You can also put the ball on the floor a little bit too, right? So, um, yeah. So, like, I think there's there's stuff there. Um, like, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, no, I, that's all I was gonna say. Is just that they they like Grimes obviously has the ability to attack off the bounce, but also, you know, you can use him as a screener, right? Like. You can run, like, and actually, you got to give credit to Tim. Tim's has like done more creative stuff now. Like with, look, his game, his offense is always going to be like very not super complex, but like he's at least utilizing stuff like ghost screens and shit like that now, right? You're seeing that with Grimes. I don't know so much of Grimes actually. Which quickly runs does a lot of ghost yeah. Screens. Quickly does a lot of ghost screens. I think I've seen Brunson do a few, like. It's something that they can definitely do with Grimes, and hopefully they do more of. But to your point about like Trey, like where do you hide him? There's just way more you could do, and like we haven't seen Grimes go into his shot creation bag yet. But yeah, yeah, I mean he he's been best attacking closeouts, and then he is a smart, he is a good first step, um, and he's a smart passer. Um, so it, it, there really isn't anywhere to hide. I do think if and when Obi comes back, even our worries about the bench unit will probably be um, be put at ease. The other thing I would mention is, do you think we would see, maybe in games where teams do have the kind of foot speed that could really cause problems for Hartenstein and, and Sims together? Well, on defense, you're just not going to worry because Sims basically has the agility of a four, right? He can play, he can do all of those things. Do you think we might see, though, you know, if there are games where Hartenstein is getting exploited or something, would we see RJ at the four with that lineup? Um, you know, and, and keep Grimes out there. You know, Grimes, Deuce, IQ, RJ, and Sims. Uh, I guess the downside of that is it can be tough to get Grimes enough of a rest, maybe, and you don't have the depth for that. But I'm curious if you think we'd see more of that. We've seen RJ at the four in, in spurts, but uh, right now that doesn't seem to be their go-to. Um. Yeah, I, I thought yesterday, and like, so this is one where I, I I get why Tibbs didn't do it. I would have liked to see him do it. Uh, I thought he called the timeout 91, I think the Knicks were down 91-89, calls the timeout, flips a shit at Sims. I still have no idea what he was so mad at Sims about. It was really funny, though, because he's like screaming at Sims, and Sims is just like, Stone face, just <laughs> no reaction. Um, but like, I thought that was a moment. Grimes had only played like, I want to say he played maybe twenty four or something minutes at that point. There are about nine, ten, nine, nine to ten minutes left in the game. I thought you could have just played him the rest of the way, and I thought that was a good moment to go small and try that quickly. Deuce, RJ, Grimes, big guy, whatever you want to be. Hartenstein, you want to be Sims. I don't really give a shit. Unit. Um, he didn't do that, but I do think that, especially with Obi out right now, if he started doing that, let me just tell you, I might start up like a Tibbs for Coach of the Year agenda going on again if he starts doing shit like that. Because Wouldn't that be big market buy. 
that's true. It would be big. But like, th- that's that's probably just that's one of those things where it's like that's the final little bit of flexibility you'd like to see from him is don't just do that when Randall gets ejected and Julian, Ju- like Jalen Brunson looks like he's about to be out for a month. Do it in a moment like this. Like that's a situational look, right? That's not a look you're going to play full games and as your like core lineup forever. But that was a situation, especially against a team like Indiana, right? What are they going to do? They're going to post up Jalen Smith on RJ 15 times. Go for it. Be my guest. Like, please do. You know, you can live without the size against a team like Indiana, given the lineups they're throwing out there uh, and the strengths and weaknesses of them. So I thought that would have been a moment to to try that out. I would have loved to see that. And I I even tweeted it out during the game that, like, I would have. To his, to the, to Tibbs' credit, the Knicks did end up tying the game with that unit, but then they also went down five immediately after. So um, I, I still maintain that, like, I think that he needed to, or he should have tried out the small lineup. And there have been a few games where I've thought that. Yeah, and and I think that we should say that, as you mentioned, this has, this bench has been far from a disaster, right? It's just with how good the starting lineup is starting to look now, uh, it's figuring out to kind of maintain, and I mean, that's a reversal from what we've seen for much of the tips tenure, right? Where the starting lineup plays teams maybe to a draw, and it's the bench that has really been shown the ability to take over games. Um, but to be clear, even without Obi, this isn't a disastrous bench unit at all. Um, and like you said, maybe it, it is just as simple as quickly hitting shots, um, you know, RJ hitting open threes. Um, and I do think they're going to be helped by the fact that they should be able to get out in transition quite a bit. Um, so, um, so that's encouraging. <laughs> Looking forward, the schedule does get tough. Um, tomorrow night, they do have Golden State. Uh, that is at MSG, but Knicks have actually been worse at MSG. We had a back-to-back of two teams that have historically been pretty tough for the Knicks. Um, they have the Warriors and the Raptors coming up before they play their third game in just two weeks against the Bulls at home. Um, you know, we're back at the point where I think previewing individual matchups can be fun. I don't think I've said that since um, probably the 2020-21 season. Um, you know, the Warriors, I'm curious to see. I would imagine they start crimes on um, on – um, Curry, uh, I would imagine um, um, like Brunson is probably going to be on Clay uh, Thompson. I don't think they'll try him on Pool either. Um, but the Knicks finally have some perimeter defenders to go out after these guys. The problem is the Warriors, besides Pool, really aren't. Well, I mean, obviously Curry's capable of it, but they're not really a team that's going to go to one on one unless they have to. Uh, because of the things that Draymond can do, I do worry about Draymond playing with the bench against Hartenstein. Uh, and Sims. Um, but I'm curious to your thoughts on that game, and, and if you think the Knicks, you know, with their recent improvement, can uh, can hang with the defending champs. Uh, I mean, they should beat the Warriors. Mm. Like Spicy. without without Steph, they should beat the Warriors. I don't Is he out he's... still? Yeah, yeah, he's out for a while. He's gonna be out for like a month, I think. Um, so they should beat the Warriors. Uh. <laughs> The Raptors will be interesting. The Raptors have historically given them a lot of issues. But the Raptors are not playing well right now. They're in a bad way. Them and the Bulls, they feel like they're getting close to Bulls' level of like, are we sure everything is okay there? What's going on? Are they going to make a move? Who are they trading? Is everybody happy? I don't know what's going on there. They don't look like a happy bunch. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the Knicks should, I think they should actually like really 
seriously kill the Warriors. Um, and, not scared of Jordan Poole and Draymond? And- uh, definitely not scared of Draymond. Although he did start the game off yesterday with three consecutive threes. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, I've seen Dennis Rodman hit three threes in a row too. So <laughs> true. Uh, but not the type of threes you're talking about. Ayo. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, again, like, I, I don't know. It's, it's pretty nice, but like, I'm at the point where it's like, if the Knicks win basketball games, I'm very happy because of the rotation. And if they lose, I'm also just like, okay, well, it happens. I mean, they've won seven in a row. You're going to lose a game at some point. Um, should it be the Warriors? No. Could it be the Raptors? Yes, although, again, the Raptors are not playing well. The Knicks are definitely a better team than them in the moment. Um, Friday night so, Knicks. <laughs> it's historically been tough. Right. And this is, this is, it's worth noting this is a four-game home stretch. So, I mean, I think that this is another mark of can they, can, are they for real, right? You have a four-game home stretch catching a couple of teams when they're down a little bit. Um, and then uh, and they finish off with, if they can get into to, 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 to Christmas, right? with a nine-game winning streak. And then, you know, I think that at that point, that becomes gravy. I'd love to see them beat. I would love to see New York beat Philly on Christmas um, in this sport. Um, and, um, <laughs> you know, the um, but that the, the pressure is almost off, right? And that is a team that I think is is a lot better than they've played. Um, but, you know, a double-digit win streak is in play. Do you think, kind of on that same note, do you think there's anything to the fact that the Knicks, just for whatever reason, have been worse at home? I think that, I don't know if they finished worse at home last year. This year, they are 9-6 um, and six on the road. 10-6. Um, and six. No. 10-6 and six on the road, yeah. And 7-7 seven and seven on at home. Do you read into that much? Or, or... Not really. I mean, they started this streak at home. Um, I think the results have more to do with the lineups that have been playing that were being played um, more than anything else. So, I mean, will the Knicks be road warriors the rest of the way? Maybe. I don't know. But I think they'll end up being a pretty good home team, uh, especially now with the line, again, with the lineups and the rotations and all that stuff. Like, it should tilt stuff in their favor. And, you know, again, like, if you just look at the winning streak they were on, or that they, that they are on currently, it starts off, right? They beat the Cavs at home. They beat the Hawks at home. They beat the Kings at home. And then in, it, they had a quick trip to Charlotte in, in between those. And then obviously they've gone on this three-game um, road, road winning streak just now against the Bulls twice and the Pacers. So, you know, they've won three of these games at home. So I think that's already in the process of turning around. So I wouldn't worry about that too much. And you did mention they played a pretty tough schedule. Um I think one criticism of the Knicks, particularly early in the season, was they beat the teams they're supposed to and they lose to the teams they're quote unquote supposed to, right? Going forward, um, so I want this is a two parter. Do you think that we might see that shift where, yeah, the Knicks still end up maybe as a middling Eastern Conference team, but that the makeup of that is they do win some games against maybe even teams like Milwaukee and Boston? Uh, or do you see them more as a team that's going to win most of the games they're supposed to? And then the other thing is, is there a revised seeding prediction you might have for the Knicks, given uh, given kind of what we know now? Uh, nah, I still think six is fine. I think six is probably about right. Um, they're not going to catch the Bucks. obviously. They're not going to catch the Celtics, unless the Celtics have to play the Magic, apparently, for the rest of the, the, <laughs> the year. They're probably not going to catch the Cavs. Although, also this, Cavs are 14-2 and two at home. 
They are very, very, very nice. Six and nine away from home. Um, so that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, I don't think they'll catch the Nets unless KD or Kyrie get hurt or disappear because of reasons unknown, which is always possible. They do have uh, a better point differential than the Nets, by the way, or average. So yeah. Far. Yeah. I mean, I just think when those guys are playing at the level they're at, especially KD, um, you can kind of game the point differential a little bit. Like you'll probably end up winning more of the tight games than you should. But yeah, maybe they can catch up with them, not out of the realm of possibility. And I think Philly had some terrible injury luck to start the year. Feels like they're now finally getting right. Uh, Maxi's still not back yet, but it looks like Embiid and Harden have figured some shit out. Which is really the most important thing, right? Unless Maxi was going to take a superstar leap, which he isn't. I don't think he's ever going to be that level of passer. He's probably going to be more. Of, I mean, I've always Beal as a comp I've had for, for a while. Um, yeah, but it's it's Embiid and Harden, and and if those two guys are playing at a high level, that's just a talent differential that the Knicks are not quite at yet. So, yep. So, um, yeah, that's that's probably where I'm at with it. I I think six is good. I wouldn't shock me if they drop into the plan. I still think that's obviously possible. Miami is still lurking. They're sixteen and fifteen. They've been playing a little bit better late. Hawks have managed to pull together some wins. They're fifteen and fifteen. Pacers no, obviously, a talented team, right? Yep. I, I think w- the reality, though, is this: the there might there's probably going to end up being a pretty big gap between that final playing spot and eleven, because I do think I think the Bulls are just bad, and they might pull the plug. Wizards are have lost ten in a row now, I believe. Yeah, they're RIPR draft pick for this year. <laughs> yes, exactly. The Magic are frisky. I think they are still a year away from Frisky translating to getting into the playoffs. The Pistons are Frisky but bad. The Hornets are bad. They're not even Frisky. They just suck. Um, but, like, there's a drop-off from 10. Even 10, like, the Raptors are 13, 17. Maybe they fall off a cliff. But I do, like, I'd be surprised at this point if the Knicks aren't at least a play-in team. Uh, and they have every chance of being a, the 16th, for sure. I guess the other question is, I mean, if Chicago's going to pull the plug, I guess Indiana doesn't have a choice. But Indiana is a young team, too. Uh, and before the season, they were rumored to be very high on the Wemby sweepstakes. Do you think at some point they joined that uh, that group? I mean, I, I thought they looked like a, a pretty dangerous team yesterday. They obviously still have some holes in the roster, but you know, we can rip Halliburton as much as we like. But you know, he really does orchestrate the offense well. Uh, I, I I like him and Matherin together, but do you think they're gonna they're gonna keep going for it, or do you think at some point? And obviously they have you know a coach who is in the Tibbs mold, where Carlisle isn't a guy you're gonna ever gonna expect to be tank okay with tanking for a while. Uh, I am curious what happens with them though. Um, yeah, I, I think their ownership has never been about the tank, and I think the start of the season they've had has put them in a position where they're pretty competitive night to night, so I don't think that changes. Like I think they want to win ball games now, and I think their ownership now has seen enough where look, you might look at their team and be like, hey, uh, why do we need to tank? Halliburton's a really good young piece. Matherin's a really good young piece. Nemhard might be a fine. We can keep Miles Turner if we want. He's not too old. He's like 27. But he we're, knows- we're able to stress teams. I mean, Jalen Smith had some moments. Yeah. We're able to stress teams with... I mean, they... they 
that's what's interesting too is that like a lot of young teams don't have an identity but i do think the teams that i think in the east are really worrisome are the ones i don't i don't know what chicago's identity is two isolation scorers uh it's funny i don't know if you guys follow uh, i think it's brian j nba draft but i was trying to be somewhat complimentary of chicago and he just was he's a bulls fan um so i think the bulls are pretty down bad I think they're all pretty upset about that Vucevic trade. I don't know what that team's identity is. Washington and Derry should be better. Um, Porzingis is quietly having a really good year. I'd be interested to see. Um, well, Randall's playing better now, so I don't know if that would, there would be a fit there for the Knicks. But that is a guy I'd be I'd curious to see if, if they do trade him or if contender contender wants him, uh, especially since um, he has a player option this year, right? Uh Sorry, who's that? I'm sorry. Porzingis. Porzingis. Yeah, he has a player option. He might opt out. Yeah, and so maybe it's... I think that's interesting. And if there's a contender... I mean, everyone wanted LA to trade two firsts for Miles Turner. I don't think they should trade two firsts for Porzingis. But with AD out, that, there's, there was a time when teams would have loved to pair uh, AD and Porzingis. Uh, I think New Orleans should consider it. New Orleans should consider... Oh, KP, yeah. Just the... The two, the two most freakish uh, draft prospects in a long time. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think that would, would actually make a lot of sense. They are using, there was a good thread, they are using Zion a little bit better on defense, allowing the roam a little bit more. Uh, and he's playing with better effort. But if you look at, so to get back to my point, like Chicago, I don't know what their identity is. Washington, I don't know what their identity is. And Charlotte, I don't know what their identity is. Um, but Orlando and Detroit, like Orlando, like you said, they, they want to be Raptors South. Um, I think as you, the point you've made is that, you know, if Toronto's key guy going forward is Barnes, Orlando has a couple of guys. I mean, I would definitely take Paolo over Barnes. Uh, I've gone over a lot of guys. Yeah. Paolo's awesome. Um, and I'd probably take Franz over a lot of guys. And, you know, I think I've gone back and forth, you know, you and me both watched Franz dominate Barnes in college. Um, then watch him dominate his ass in the NBA too. I do think I've been guilty of this as well. It's like because Franz is so polished, I think people lower his ceiling. I think I've seen that with a lot of players where you're just like... There's another thing about Franz that uh, gets people to lower his ceiling too. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) The fact that that his brother is goofy. He's sneaky athletic. Is that that what he is? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Which, you know, it's... um, so, so, that, but yeah, like he, he is, and he's a, he's a terrific defender. I still think that's one of the most, un, but the, the point I'm making is the Knicks, I think are starting to build that identity. They may have a good mix of, of scorers with, with tough defenders. Um, I think they probably still, there's times when the spacing doesn't look great. Um, but the teams that you worry about are the ones that just don't have an identity. And that's what, um, Chicago and Washington are at. Toronto still has that. So that's why I'm not too worried about them, but I've been a Messiah stand for a while. And I will say there, Toronto has been a little bit unlucky this year. They have actually a positive point differential. Um, so I would expect them to, to be in that. Um, to, and I wouldn't, I mean, I think they could even catch the Knicks. That's the team I'd be most worried. Them and Atlanta are the two teams I'd be most worried about. So. Yeah, I, I don't know. Something's off with Toronto. When I watch them, something is just off. I agree. I know the point differential. They're probably getting unlucky in close games. They've lost a few close games out in a row that, just brutal beats. Kings, uh, Nets, their day. They, they got destroyed yesterday, though, by the Warriors, which was yeah. Without that's though. yeah, that's not a good look. Um, I don't know. Something's just off there. The, the vibes are bad. The vibes are bad. Something is wrong. 
yeah, I, I think I, I will say this too. I think Masai they have an identity, but what is their identity? Their identity is just like get a bunch of long ass athletes and not have a center and like switch everything and do weird stuff in the passing lanes. Like like I get all that, it's fine. But it's also like is that actually a is that a plan? Like is that a vision or is that just kind of like an archetype that you're duplicating all over the floor? Um I think there's a difference between those things. That's just me. But um yeah, I don't know. I think look, I I I the the thing I'm most curious about with how this season is going is like I was talking about this with the Prez. I was messaging with him yesterday about this, but like I think you want to be the first seller. If you're gonna sell, you want to be the first seller. Uh have you ever seen um Fuck, what's that movie? Margin Call? Have you seen Margin Call? Yes. So, like, what is he? What does Jeremy Irons tell him? That he's like, he's like, you want to be the fucking first one out of the gate. Like, you want to be the first one out of the gate and just get rid of all your shit. And everybody might know at the end of it all that you just dumped and unloaded all your shit and they'll hate you. But you were the first one to do it. And you'll benefit from that. And it's like, I think, like, I'm looking at Toronto and I'm looking at Chicago if you are internally already considering shaking things up, selling off or whatever, it is. I think you really want to be the first one. Because if you look around the NBA, right? Okay, how many teams have assets to make a lot of trades and would be motivated to do so, right? So let's say, let's look at the Bulls. If you have DeRozan, you have Vooch, you have Levine. Maybe you have Caruso too. Okay, those are your four guys that you could trade, presumably for value, that you'd want to. How many teams are going to trade super high-end assets for those guys? Probably not many, if any. So, like, you want to make sure that you're getting the maximum value you can. If a seller like Toronto comes out before you, that could be a problem. That could result in a team that might have been interested in a Levine or a DeRozan or a Vucevic or something. Where they're like, well, we were interested, but we just got Gary Trent Jr. now, so we're good. You know, um, like for example, there's that rumored Lakers package that are floating around, which is like Kendrick Nunn, Patrick Beverly, and a first round pick. If I were Toronto, I'd be like, cool, give me that. I'll send you Gary Trent Jr. Would the Lakers do that? They might, because damn, like you might get a, you can get a shooter like that next to LeBron. That might be something you're interested in. You know, um, so I don't know, but I just think. It's really important for one of these teams. If you're thinking about selling, you want to be the first one to do it. I think, um, and like, like, and and to this point, I hate doing this because I hate him with the with all of the possibility that sports hate gives you. I hate him to that full extent. Uh, I hate Danny Ainge, but like, Danny Ainge jumped the market this summer, right? Where he's like, he just pulled the plug and traded Gobert traded Donovan Mitchell. He and he killed on both yeah. Uh and he, he killed on both of those trades. He raked in assets. He gave them a ton of flexibility. They have a lot of contracts that expire or that they can move off of quite easily. Like it's a you want to be first when you're selling off. And there are two major trade seasons, right? Off season, like draft free agency right there, that period between the draft and start of free agency. And right now, in the middle of the season, leading up to the trade deadline, I think if you're trying to capitalize, especially if you're Chicago, you want to be first right now. 
Yeah. Um, and I, I just don't think there's going to be, I mean, any market, though. I mean, who's trading for DeRozan? Like, I think the Lakers would do it. I mean, if they, they'd have to move up Westbrook. I, I think they could. I'm, I don't know. I have to look at the numbers. But I'm pretty sure they can. I mean, they should do that anyway. I would be like, sure, give us DeRozan and Vooch. We'll give you fucking a first and a pick swap. DeRozan and Vooch? Yeah, I, Vooch actually would be a, a pretty decent fit there. Um, yeah, maybe the Lakers. Um, I, I mean, I don't know. Do you think the KG of the Lakers thing makes sense at all? I think so. I mean, would they do it, though? I don't know. Like they'd probably have to give up two first, right? Yeah, which like I don't think like why I don't think they would do two first for KP, which I actually would get because he's such a big injury risk, no matter what, like how good he's playing. And then, like I mean, the injury risk of him with AD is like I don't even know how to calculate that. Uh, it's pretty wild, but like I don't know. Are you gonna cash in your two biggest chips? Your only two chips really left at the table for a. Oh, Roll like a a roll of the dice on KP. I don't know. I wouldn't. But on by the same token, right? Booch is a is a unrestricted free agent. Uh, I think it's there's something said about the fact that the Lakers really need two way players. That's why Anthony Davis has been so important for them because most of the players they have um, are one end of the floor or the other. Um, that's why that kind of like that's what I just don't like DeRozan or Booch to them at all. You know. No, I agree with you. I'm just saying. I think if DeRozan's on the market, the Lakers would probably go for him. I think there'll be a few teams that would do it. Like, like if you just look at NBA, we'll just look at the NBA standings here real quick. All right, what are teams that need shot creation? Okay. Uh, well, we basically say, everyone. But yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, I think would Miami do it? I don't know. Maybe. I hate that maybe. fit with DeRozan and Butler as far as the spacing, but. You do get shot creation. Yeah, you get shot creation. I don't know. Would the fucking Mavericks do it? Probably. Yeah, that's I mean, the other team I was thinking of. Mavericks. Dinwiddie has been kind of disappointing for them. Um, I just need more. Dinwiddie's being asked to play a role above what he should be. Like last year, he was really good when he was the third guy because they had Brunson, right? Now you're like, okay, be the number two. And I just think that's asking too much of him. With the Lakers, like I don't know, there, there's enough teams that I think would consider DeRozan that you'd probably get a decent value from. Vooch is tough. I don't know how many teams are really going to be looking to send anything of value out for Vooch. Levine's the big one. I mean, I would try to get off that contract for them just because I think this team has no future. But like, I don't know. You're also selling low on him probably right now, so maybe you don't want to do that. So it, it's interesting. I, I don't know. There's. I mean, the just, Lakers can't afford Levine at this point, right? They don't have. The, they could do think they would, No, not sorry. I mean the um, in terms of the assets. Like you don't think there there's a Lakers trade out there that's appealing for the Bulls for Levine? I would be pretty happy with just getting off his contract and picks, but maybe I'm undervaluing what his value is around the league. I don't so know. You think, so, so you think that two firsts, those two firsts that the Lakers have been unwilling to part with, would be enough for Levine? I still think they probably value him more than that. I'm sure they value him more than that. I just don't know what the league values him at. And that's why I ultimately think they'll end up keeping him because I think there's probably a massive discrepancy between what the Bulls would want for him and what the league would be willing to give up for him. But I don't know. I've never liked Levine as a player, so I just hope that if he is on the market that the Knicks stay clear because I think he's a fucking loser. Yeah, and I mean, it's worth noting that you know if you are the Bulls, um, 
Yeah, like I think that's that is a pre- like it's probably the same reason why the Knicks have been hesitant to trade Randall, right? Where you know his value in terms of if he is able to turn it around is more to them than you know a first round pick. And I I, I have to say that I I do think that Levine has a higher ceiling than a guy like Julius Randall, right? So yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, all right, I think that's a good place to end it. Uh, Stacy, let the people know where they can find you and uh, plug anything that you look to plug. Uh, Stacy Patton eighty nine on Twitter, and uh, I don't know exactly when it's going to drop, but I did a draft Strickland pod with Prez and um, Schwinn's best friend Tyrese. Uh, Tyrese uh, Lundis. Yes. Um So look for that to drop within the next couple of days. Um, and uh, you know we're putting out some great draft content. I know the Knicks are better, so this is not typically where we focus on the draft. But for the Knicks to get to the next level, there are going to be some options they'll have. Um, to add another a couple of one or two really good players uh, in this draft. And uh, and it's fun. Um, so uh, that's uh, I'll plug that. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Uh, I have nothing to plug myself, so I'm just going to plug all the wonderful work at Strickland, podcasts, articles, rundown show, all that stuff. Check it all out. It is great. Give us a follow on YouTube. Give us a follow on Instagram. If you want to subscribe, get on the Discord. Check out the Patreon, $6 tier. Uh, gets you in there uh, but that is our pod for today I hope everybody has a great week Tua still fucking sucks and uh, again everybody have a great week and I'll see you on Friday You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.